Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another brand new episode, the first of 2023 of Beyond the Album Cover with yours truly, Jarrell Mason, a.k.a. J. Mace. Before we get into this second interview with my brother, Marquette Branch, I just want to say thank you to everybody that's been supporting the podcast, whether it be watching on YouTube or listening to it on the various streaming platforms. Thank you guys once again. And like I said, Marquette Branch is no stranger to the podcast. Go check out his previous episode where he talks about his humble beginnings in the 252 area of North Carolina, his matriculation through that, and into the world of finance, which is what we'll be talking about today. So it'll be investing one-on-one, and also we're going to tie it back into the hip-hop space since this year in 2023, hip-hop turns 50. Man, Marquette, thank you for coming back onto the podcast, bro. Oh man, thank you for having me, bro. I, I, I'm I'm excited to be back. I look forward to this to this conversation we're gonna have, man. It's good stuff, man. Hope everything's been going well with you. Yeah, man, everything has been going well. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Finances and investments. There was a time where finances wasn't really talked about openly, especially in the African American community. Of course, we know of some people that probably had money stuffed in the mattress, didn't trust banks. And your right. grandma or granddaddy probably still go down to the bank to get deposits, various right. things of that nature. You know, my mom, she still does right. the bills via old school, send a check in, mail it off. But what we're seeing now is that financial literacy is becoming cool to talk about openly and people are becoming more financially astute of how money works and how you let it work for you and not the other way around. So can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, man. It's uh, it's interesting. Um, when we had the pandemic, there was a there was a study in a poll that came out and showed that uh, investing within the younger, uh, the younger generation, the younger population, um, is just as popular as hip hop music. So the the mindset is changing now that investing is not so far and high up but it's actually attainable on the everyday person-to-person level and you don't have to be a millionaire or billionaire to be able to invest and to actually to be able to invest in your future so you know it's funny it's a funny thing especially when we start talking about 401ks and stuff and you're not even knowing you're investing there but you don't really know somebody else is doing it for you you know mm-hmm. and 401ks for those that don't know if you work a job they have this little account set aside so that every paycheck, they put a portion of that in there so that by the time you're able to retire or if you decide to no longer work at the particular employer, you can either pull it out or roll it over to your next job depending on how their HR and employee benefits work. So can we talk about the importance of a 401k account and how people can save up a little bit of money at the time so that way when they hit that age where they can retire, they're not left in the lurch. Well, a 401, 401k is important. Um, interesting thing about a 401k is that in a four inside of 401k, it's a bunch of mutual funds, it's a bunch of funds put together, index funds put together, smorgage boards of your different stocks um of the market, as you will. And so if you would notice, if you ever look at your 401k, you'll notice through periods it'll go up or it'll go down. It performs based upon the market. But it's it's really important that you do have one um, because you can have a company that can contribute as well as your because they can match you. So it really does kind of help when in a sense it's it's the it's it's the traditional 
way of building up uh, a future for yourself when you uh, get ready to retire or you're approaching a retirement age. Now, the interesting thing about it, though, is that you can pull from it, but you will be taxed pretty heavily if you pull out of that 401k account before, let's say, before like 65, 64, 65. You'll be, you'll be taxed pretty heavy. I think it used to be 43%. I got to double check the numbers on that now. So it's important to have. It's important to have. Um, but I do, I also think that that is the, while it's, the, it's important to have, it's not the only thing that you can have. You could take a little bit more control of your future, you know, without just having to depend on a 401k account, even though having the 401k and IRA and all that stuff is, is really important for your retirement age. But it's, 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 it's other ways now, I think, in this new world when it comes to finance that I think people have approached and have been jumping on, man. And not to say it's to do away with the 401k, but it's to say, yeah, I have a 401k, but I also have real estate. I also have other investments that I've invested in that when I do retire, my hope is that long term, they'll all come in together and benefit me. Right. And what is what are some advice you would have for the younger generation that's getting ready to go into the workforce and is being brought up to them about 401k and you're in your early to mid 20s, fresh out of college with your BA, BS or whatever degree you may have. And you're not necessarily planning for the long game. You're looking at the short game. So what are some things that are entry level workers, what they should be looking for and doing to try to set themselves up nice for the long term? Well, I would definitely say don't have uh, don't have a short term viewpoint. Um, I would definitely say have a long term thought process i was i would say that you know obviously the younger you are the more risk that you can take um the more risk that you'll want to take the older you are the less risk you want to take with your money the less risk and less chances you want to you really want to take so i i would say have a long game approach um i would say be as conservative as you can um as you're first starting out because you don't really know everything now i'll say the thing that you may want to do more is to try to find ways, and this is a hard part, it's a tricky part, but find ways to contribute more. So normally some companies will start you off and they'll say, well, you, you're starting off, it starts you off at 4%, or there's, you know, you're contributing automatically, you're contributing 4% off of your check. They're looking out for you, for you to look out for yourself. So you're contributing 4%, right? Then there's some places that may start you off at 6%. So mind you, these are all, this is money that's coming out of your check that Technically speaking, you're not going to miss. You're not even going to see it. Technically. Now, you, if you are a penny pincher like me and you study everything on your page, your page, your, 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 your stuff and stuff, then you know where all of your money is going. You see how much you had, how much is going. But um, I would say the younger you are, the more that you can contribute more towards your 401k, uh, the better, because it should be the less responsibilities you have, the longer, the, the younger that you are. So I would, Definitely, I wouldn't be so aggressive. I would, I would think long term gain when I was filling out my, filling out my paperwork, and I would think about my how much I'm actually contributing to it, and then how much the company is matching. Yeah, because like you stated, the younger you are, the more risk you could take because you don't have spouses, children, house, other responsibilities that would necessarily temper any risk right. that you would take. But also another secret that I want to give out is that. You ready for it? Don't spend more than what you make. I'll say it loud for the cheap seats. Don't spend more than what you make. Do your budget. 
figure out, okay, this is how much is going to go towards rent, car payment, insurance, et cetera, et cetera, and look at what you're bringing home. And if that job is not meeting your financial needs for all your expenditures, then maybe you should think about looking elsewhere. That's if you are already off your probationary period, because once you're on probationary period, you're pretty much tied to what they have for you. Then after you hit that probationary period, depending on the job, you'll get yearly raises based on performance evaluations. And what I would do with that is you would take whatever bump you get from that performance evaluation raise and sock it away. Don't don't right. even touch it. Right. I mean, that's that's very key. Um, it, it's extremely key to to balance out your wants and your needs, right? It's extremely key for that. You you want your expenses to be less than the profits and revenue that you're bringing into your home, right? And it does come down to budgeting, like really budgeting. Um, it's a thing where, and it's a thing too. Um, people will say, well, you know, if, if I'm I'm check to check or paycheck to paycheck, you know, I can't afford to invest. I can't afford to put extra. I can't afford to do this. And while I understand that, right, I, I, I totally understand that. I totally understand, you know, how that goes. But here's the thing. It all comes down to just your just 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 your mindset and your approach to it and being willing to actually like look at the full scale and not just the small scale. Full scale is to say, OK, bring it. Check the check. Gotcha. But how about this? Did you eat out this week? Or in the last two weeks, did you eat out? Did you take a visit to the, let's say, to the adult beverage store, right? Did you take a trip there? Um, if, uh, you know, if, if you smoke, did you buy Newports? Did you buy cigars? Like, you know, uh, are you buying coffee every morning? Like, uh, little things that add up at the end of the week. Before you know it, at the end of the week, you know, You've spent an additional $50 that you said that you didn't have. But once we're looking at it, you have it. It's just a matter of where you choose and prioritize to put your wants and your needs. It's just a matter of really that approach and just saying like, okay, well, this week I'm I'm not going to go eat out. Let's say I'm not going to eat out. I know it's quicker, but I'm not going to go and eat out like two times this week. I'm not going to do fast food this week. I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm going to just get something. I'm going to go grocery shopping. I'm going to keep it at the house, whatever. If it saves me an additional five dollars, that's five dollars saved that I could put towards investing into something. Right. Or five dollars more that I could give towards whatever I'm choosing, whether it is adding additional money towards my 401k or whether it is investing into in something. Right. There's nothing wrong with brown bagging it. Now, what would be the most introductory level account for young kids, maybe preteen to teens, so that way they can learn about investing and saving because we know different bank companies are coming out with cards specifically for that demographic, which has preset spending limits, and they can be able to learn the basics of financing and investing. So what are some of the options there for um, that demographic? Well, it's a lot of options, man. Um, one of the options that I know now is, is is as hot as anything is you got YouTube University. It has every, it has everything at your fingertips that you can find out for investing one on one to every little intricate piece of of where you should be. That I know that's one is that's super hot. 
Um, but if I'm going to go from a standpoint of learning more about investing and having a platform about investing, if I'm just going to go from the, the just the simplistic level, I would say go get a TD Ameritrade account. I would say sign up for a TD Ameritrade account. They have a free course. They have free coursework. They have a bunch of coursework. It teaches you definitions. It teaches you charts. It teaches you algorithms. It teaches you a lot of things at a slow pace. And you get to take... You get to take you a, a, a quiz, you get to test your knowledge, but you can go at your pace. And so I think it's important if if it's me and I, if I'm if I'm a young kid and I want to get into it and I want to, you know, get some knowledge about it. As far as is that form of investing, I will go and I will utilize the platforms like a TD Ameritrade just to utilize their their learning, their learning resources. Yep, YTU is free. It don't cost you nothing. Forget DeVry, forget Everest, forget ICS. I'm down with YTU, YouTube University. Now, another form of currency, although virtual, has been in the news lately because one of the former companies, I know you know where I'm going with this, just went belly up and their founder, uh, he got extradited back to the U.S. or as Bomani Jones like to call cryptocurrency. Funny money. Shout out to Bomani Jones. And um, what was your take on crypto and why is it so volatile? And why um, FTX have been nosedive as of late? Uh, this is a funny one. Um, I'm sure everyone has ranging opinions of this. So if you're if you are in the crypto space, you're probably gonna hang me for everything that I'm saying. Um, but honestly speaking. I'm futuristic. I like to think in the future. I like to live in the future. Um, I think when it comes to investing, I think you have to um, be able to know, or not even know, but be able to think futuristic in, in that mindset. But I think with crypto, I'm not a fan of crypto. I'll be, I, I will admit, I'm not a fan of crypto. Um, and I actually saw this happen. I didn't know that it would happen like this. But I saw it happening. Here's the here's the reasons why, and some of the reasons why I I I saw I I, I could have predicted I could have predicted that to come to be, and my true opinions about crypto. So with crypto, some of the things that I also I know that is number one, like with Bitcoin. If you get locked out, last time I checked, if you got locked out, whatever money you got, you don't get. If you forget your password. You don't have an exchange that you can call up to and get them to do the work or, or rerun something. No, nah, your, your money's gone. Another thing is with crypto, you're putting your money in piles and pits with a bunch of other money that you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know who's operating at the top. You don't know who's operating at the bottom. You don't know who's going to decide to pull their money out. Another thing, I never met a crypto millionaire. I never met anybody that said they made xyz amount of crypto and took it out and cashed it out another thing i was thinking i have an issue is there's not a lot of regulations it's no real it's like the wild west with your money so it's no real regulations really just so jarell money and marquette money can be mixed in with pablo escobar money or el chapo money dark web money for, for example i don't know if you remember a few months back this was well, last year do you remember the whole gas situation when there was mm -hmm. like the number that Mm -hmm. So they were so the gas companies were basically there was this dark web or whatever was operating behind those keys. They had a ransom 
and saying that they were going to cut it back on, but they wanted like a certain amount of million dollars. But guess what they wanted it in? Crypto. Bitcoin. So that in itself is a red flag to me to say, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. So you mean to tell me like my stuff, there's really no regulations. I know there was an issue about some tax, tax, the tax situation with crypto as well. So I don't doubt that at some point in the future that it'll be that it'll be a thing. It'll be something that we use um like breathing air. But right now it doesn't seem like the banks it doesn't seem like the banks have fully accepted it, have fully, have fully committed to that. It, 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 and so it's it's and it's still it's about 10 years old. Maybe think of Bitcoin, it's about 10 years old. You know, this thing is kind of it's it's not it's, it hasn't been in place enough and it hasn't shown enough to be able to have the proper data to to predict what where this thing is gonna go and how volatile it is. And ultimately, once it crashes, you lose your money and you cannot get it back. It's gone. I don't care how many lawsuits you have, you can your money is gone. And so and then too like the thing like Warren Buffett says, you know, it's it's you know, is it tangible? I mean, you know, does it have any producing value? Mm -hmm. no. Yeah, which segues right into my next question. You mentioned Mr. Warren Buffett and how he says, I wouldn't put my money into crypto. He believes in stocks. And as we know, the stock market can be very volatile as well. See the Great Depression, 1987 and 2008, where people just lost everything. So what are some of the things that people need to look out for and understand before they decide to put whatever money they put in in stocks? Well, when it comes to stocks, everybody has different approaches. You have some people that have a long-term approach. You have some people that have a short-term approach. Um, all depends on what your goals are. Uh, first and foremost, I would set my, I mean, set set your goals. Set your goals as to what you want, what you want, what you expect, what you have, right? You never want to invest more than what you have. You never want to invest more than what you're willing to lose. And at the end of the day, when you're investing, this money is supposed to be disposable income that you don't miss, that you won't miss. This ain't investing with your rent, your mortgage, your light bill, you know, to, to do a quick flip. And it this this ain't the fish table, right? This isn't the fish table. This isn't you only need to invest what you're willing to lose. And at the same time, you should only in you should only be investing disposable income. This should not be your operating income for your life. It shouldn't be that. So the approach that I would have with, with the market it now. Number one, what you want to do is you want to research the company, right? You want to you want to know what this company is all the way through, falling through. So you have the resources and tools to do that. You know, when you go on a company's website, let's say right now if you went to Nike's website, right? And you click on one of the tabs, you can. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you can find investor relations, right? You go into the investor relations and that'll give you the reports for the company. So what you want, what you should do, don't blindly invest into something that you don't know anything about and that doesn't have any kind of value or future value or have a major market right now or a competitive advantage. If it doesn't have a competitive advantage in the, in, in, in the market, what's your point, right? So you want to study that company. You want to study the business. You want to study the income statements. You want to study your balance sheets. 
you want to study all the financial statements you can for that company to see where is it standing. You want to see what the debt looks like, the free cash flow. And then you want to listen to the earning reports. You want to see how this company is performing every quarter. You want to also see how the leadership is. You want to see, are they following through what they said they were following through? Are they delivering? If you are investing into like a car company, is this car company delivering on the number of cars that they said they will be delivering per quarter? Or if the company says that we're going to cut or slash this and this is what's going to happen, did it happen? And if it didn't happen, did you explain to the investors and the shareholders why it didn't happen? So you want to do your real, you want to do due diligence of a company before you actually invest into a company. Don't invest into a company because somebody said invest into a company. Don't invest into a company because it's a hot take. It's, it's, it's hot. More people get burned in the market than they actually do being successful in the market. But it's a, you have to know what you're investing into. And you also want to invest in something with, a, with value. For example, if I was to, let's say, for example, we was investing in Coca-Cola. Right now, who's investing in Coca-Cola? We would think that in the market that has a competitive advantage. So let's say, what's a, what's the off-brand, uh, 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 is it uh, RC Cola? Yeah, RC Cola. Right. So RC Cola can do a billion dollars or two billion dollars worth of advertisement and marketing for their brand, but it's not. It, they're gonna lose in, in the end and lose money if if. They're trying to have a competitive advantage against, uh, let's say, a namesake like a Coca-Cola, who we, the people, know, we trust, we've had for years. We know the company. We know we know everything about it. So you want to study that. You want to study the business first. Right. And definitely don't go off of celebrity endorsements because that's what killed some parts of crypto, because a lot of celebrities were getting paid by these crypto companies to endorse on their social media platforms, but not offering a disclaimer that this was a paid endorsement. And when you have that happen, the SEC, no, not the conference, but the Securities and Exchange Commission will come knocking. Will come knocking. They will come knocking. It's it's it's. It's one of those types of things, man. You just, it's, it's, it's what we call it, like, blocking out the noise. You know, you have to block out the noise because it's a lot of hype, man. You can find different instances where you can find the popularity of the market and the time can be at an all-time high and it's buzzing and you start seeing everything blow across social media. For example, GameStop. The fight back of the revolution. The GameStop, right? Everybody was talking about GameStop, investing in GameStop, getting into GameStop, buying GameStop. It's gonna do this, and it's like, well, hold on, it, it it will, but you don't know at what time it might plummet because people are gonna take profits off the table. If they take profits off the table, that stock will dip dramatically, and you just instantly lost money. And it's so you know, it makes people get into a frenzy and start to doing things and not. Asking the questions, getting the why. For example, if you were going to, let's say, for example, let's say on the end of people that lost money with GameStop, right? Some people would say, oh, I heard, oh, six o'clock at night, oh, get some GameStop. Oh, well, I'm going to go, you know, sign up and now I'm going to go buy it. Well, what people don't know is that price that you thought that you just bought in post market is not what it's going to be. So, which means if you bought it at $95 in post market when the market opens if if it runs up to $145 your order will close at $145 mm. so 
that's that's kind of like the that's kind of the things that's the kind of the the potholes that could happen um those investing so it's best to just know the business it's best to just know for yourself and to block out the noise and not to let the noise sway you because typically the noise can can lead you straight yeah no, you can kind of need in the haystack though Mm, yeah, but I think the whole thing is, you know, people always are looking for that come up, kind of like you go to the store, play the lotto every week, put down 10, 20, 30 plus dollars on scratches or that Powerball and hope to hit for the lick. And finance yeah. is kind of like the same thing where everybody's hoping to hit for that one bit lick to where yeah. they can retire early and not have to yeah. play that long game. Because if you're going to invest in stock, it's going to be where you're not going to see your appreciating returns right away. You're going to let that sit, let that cook for a minute, and oh, then I'll... you got to kind of know when to either hold it or pull out and, ca yeah, and man. cap out. Yeah, for sure, man. It's, it's in several plays, man. Um, You know, some you're going to have some stocks that are going to gonna go and they're going to have 50% increases. They're going to have 50% gains, 100% gains, 1,000% gains. And so at that time, you know, you have decisions to make. All right, what do you want to do? So typically what I do, I won't what I'll do is I'll take the gains. So let's say if I, you know, let's say if I invested at $4 and it ran up to $25. Okay, cool. I'll keep my initial investment in and whatever I made, I'll take that. That way I still have money into this. I know this is a great company. And so if it dips again, I can buy more shares and I still got my initial investment. So if it pops up again, I still get paid. And because this is a long-term investment, this is what I'm doing over and over and over and over and over with this one company. So I don't cry if it dips and this market is bad. No, 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 no. This is a great company. I'm going to buy more shares. And then once this company, once, once it turns around and once the market improves and once the company improves and the stock prices goes up again, I'm going to take those shares and my gains off the top and we'll start the process over again. But this way, we're ensuring that we're, number one, getting return on our investment, but number two, we're still keeping a good long-term investment at the same time. Right. And I'm thinking about stocks like Apple, Nike, and Coke, how those three stocks are well-trusted, how back when they were initially offered onto the stock market and how you could get shares for the low and how if you stuck with those three brands and didn't pull out, you'd be sitting pretty somewhere right now. Sitting pretty. It's about, it's, it's, it's about patience to think about it. You know, the stock market don't know you. It has no feeling. It has no emotion. It's just it's there for it's there to serve you for what you need for when you need it. But like you said, the if you think of the companies like your apples and your Nikes, Magic Johnson just spoke about it. He missed out on billions of dollars because he didn't take the deal with Phil Knight and sign and get all of those shares of Nike. Now Nike, he would have had over he would have had a couple of billions of dollars if he would have took the shares. So it does start out for the love. Like those are Apple, Amazon when it was 25, 35 cents a dollar, two, three dollars. If you would have bought your initial your initial shares in that and believed in that company and believed in the business structure and where it was going and what it was going to do to the culture and the world in the future, if you would have had that vision, yeah, by the time you crossed over to the other side, you would have been setting pretty if you would have held on to your shares. And it is about patience. And that's the that's the point. It's not about a quick flip. It's not about that. It's, it's nice if you can get one, but if you can have the patience and the and the fortitude to stick it out, 
and to understand the company and to understand the goal of what you set for yourself and line that with that company, you can make it on the other side. Because think about it. Why would anybody have held Amazon? Why would anybody have held Google? Why would anybody have held Apple or Nike, Microsoft? Why would anybody have held it? Right. It's changing of the code. It changed how we did things. If you think about these companies, and this is these are the type of companies that I like to invest in, and the companies that anyone should invest in. You know, I'm not telling anybody what to you know what to do, obviously. But when you think about it, you have to think about if these businesses will change what we do and in the future and what we know in the future. Look at what Google did. Look at what Amazon did. Look at what Apple did. These, all three of those have been culture changers. You and I come from an era, it won't no Google, it won't Amazon, it won't no Apple. We didn't have a phone that had a screen on it, man. We had the bag, we had the flip phone. We didn't see a world where we could talk on a phone on our wrist and we could all on our wrist and we could have our internet, our music, all of, all of the things that we want to consume on one device, basically a computer in our hand. We didn't think that we were going to see that. Right, right. But it, yeah, definitely. And not to cut you off, but I was saying we were the first generation to see the birth of all of that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. We were the first on that, man. Little things. How about this? Remember three and a half A floppy disk drives? Remember the change from that to the US for the to the USB? Yep. The CD to the MP3? Yep. I yep. mean, you know, realistically speaking, we're in a we we've had that we had the industrial revolution, right? Mm. And we saw what that did to our culture, what that did to our world. We are right now are in the tech technology revolution. We are in a technology revolution, and tech is is where we're going, is where we're headed, is is what we're gonna know. I mean, we even started. Let's think about something like simple as a McDonald's. McDonald's. I don't know if you've seen one yet. I I seen one where it's no actual human employees working. It's only the employees that's helping you come in, use a machine, place your order, but your your food is fixed by robots. Your order is placed by by the robot. Your car information, money is taken from the processing for the machine. And the only people that's working are people there to help you use the machine to place your order. Now, I haven't seen any of those Mickey D's yet. I've only seen the kiosk and the workers in the back prepping the food. But it feels like we're going to go towards an AI society where unless you're in certain professions that require humans, everything's going to be run by robots. It's going to be yeah. Skynet for real, for real. See, yeah, if you don't know what I'm talking about. For real. But but you know, but that's that's the beautiful thing. That's the beautiful thing about investing because now just with us talking about that, it's obvious and clear. So now you kind of got a sight of where you should think about when it comes to investing. If you're a young person thinking about investing. You're in the technology. That there we were on the forefront of technology, but I think the younger generation, they're more immersed in technology now because we have to we know it, but it takes mm -hmm. us a little bit. Up. It's it's a lot of new things that's coming up that we gotta keep up with. Yeah. But they're in a position that they can take full advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, I noticed, you know, you got on the Timberland hoodie. So this does tell to the music's portion and how yeah. back when hip hop was in its infancy back in the early 70s, 
the black and brown youths were taking the scraps that were given when in New York they were getting rid of all the arts programs, after school programs. And what did the kids have to do? They went to the park, went to those park jams. Somebody jimmied the light switch in the pole to get power. And you had the DJs and the rappers at the parks pretty much doing these concerts and how if it wasn't for that. And also reggae played a big part in hip hop as well because, you know, DJ Cool Hurt came from Jamaica, yeah. brought the sound yeah. systems and the traditions of reggae to the U.S. And they immersed it with this style called hip hop and how the early pioneers didn't really get to see the fruits of the labor of today because right. A, you're thinking short term, not long term, and B, right. the labels didn't really understand what was going on because think about it, they were coming off of disco, they were thinking, right. ah, this is just a fad, this is just noise, it's not really going to have stand power, whereas now, right. hip-hop is the most popular genre of music in the world, gave wow. voices to generations, made People who wouldn't be in a boardroom, businessmen, turn people that were standing on the corner slanging into millionaires, billionaires. Look right. at Will Smith, Queen right. Latifah, Jay Z, right. Dr. Right. Dre, 50 right. Cent, Eminem. The list goes on and on for all of the people who have made millions, billions yeah. even, yeah. off of this music. So, can we just yeah. talk about hip hop's importance and how? it's important to businesses to get in bed with hip hop because they see the cultural cachet that it brings. Yeah, man, it's super important, man. Um, hip hop is, is, it has become so much more than the music. It's, it's a way of life. It's, it's a culture. It's, it's a complete culture. And not only is it a culture, it's a culture that's, that's, not slowing down anytime soon. Nope. And it's a culture that is profitable. It's a culture that now I don't I might not agree with all of the messages and all of that or whatever, but it's a culture where you know a lot of the messages as they say sex sells, violence sells, all of these things sell. Um and it's gonna sell at a heavy clip. Um but more importantly, that the artistic, uh, the beautiful artistic uh, nature of the music and what comes out of it and the the characters and the artists, they're 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 bankable. You can name a few of these people that are bankable, and it's interesting how in the economy, how yeah, businesses should get in bed with these artists. You know, I just think that it's it's such a thin line because when they do get in bed with the artists and they do do business with these artists, the artist brings them millions. And it, it makes the artist almost seem like on a pedestal. So when there's a mistake, when there's a uh, issue in life or something comes about, they will take that from them. They'll take that business from them. They'll take that money from them and then they'll disgrace them. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, if you are invested into this culture, into this music, then you also know you know what comes with it you know what you know everybody that's doing music they're not lying in their music so you can't be surprised at the lifestyle that comes with it right, right. um but it's it, it it makes dollars 
It makes many, 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 many businessmen behind the scenes in the boardrooms a lot of a lot of money just by getting in business with 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 the artists and with hip hop. Because think about it, man, if you look at it, Gucci, Balenciaga, all of these high fashion, high end brands, the artists wear them. I don't know if all of them have sponsorship deals or not, but it it makes Balenciaga and 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 it makes all of their like. Profits go up, makes their bottom line go up. Their clothes are bought off the shelf so much so that people even buy fake, fake, fake versions of it just just to get the image, just to have the image. Right. So it's and then, so it's, it's it's and so I think now we're seeing it's been it's 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 becoming more like even with rap snacks. Now you got the you know rap on this bags of potato chips and. These are rappers, right? Like they're involved in everything. You can get action figures for these for some of the some of them, man. So T-shirts, the merch, like it's all it's all big business, right? And you mentioned the fashion lines and how it's commonplace now to get in bed with rap, hip hop, or urban acts because they see the dollars that it brings in. But you brought the point of how people would reappropriate these luxury designs and make them ghetto fabulous, so to speak. And it, I just think about what Dapper Dan had to go through back in the 80s and 90s when he was taking MCM, Louis, Gucci, some of the other luxury designs, reappropriating them, making them hot for the streets. But the fashion houses didn't want nothing to do with them. And how now Gucci, Gap, they want to get in bed with Dapper Dan. And if you yeah. read Dapper Dan's autobiography, I think he mentioned that his dad's side of the family is from Emporia. Really? Yeah. Wow. Thanks. Small word. Didn't know that. Yeah, man. But but it's just crazy in how when we were kids, you remember back in the day seeing those Sprite commercials with Heavy D, Kid and Play, Crisscross, how that was like the early form was. of hip hop coming into the mainstream. And the first part of that was Curtis Blow. Because Curtis Blow was the first rapper to get signed to a major label, Mercury Records. And right. he did a commercial for Sprite. This was back in, I want to say, 86. And then right around that same time, you had the Fresh Fest, which was the first rap tour to go nationwide. And you want to know who put that together? Mr. Michael Malden. Who's his son? Jermaine Dupree. Yep. Yep. Who was born in North Carolina, by the way? I saw that. That is a fun fact. I did see that. I did see that. Yeah, I, I think, that. yeah, I think it was born in Asheville, you know, but of course we all associate them with ATL. But like right. I said, Sprite was really the first company to really say, we're going to lean all the way into hip hop. And right. everybody else kind of just fell in line. Right. And it worked. It worked. I mean, when you think about it too, some of those early artists, they're pioneers, man. You're, you know, your Curtis Blows, um, your Run DMCs, um, they're they're pioneers, man. They they're like the <laughs> they're like the they're like the Michael Jordan of music when it comes to that. And what I mean is, I'm not talking about technicalities. I'm not talking about skill. I'm not talking about none of that. What I mean is the impact, right? Like Michael Jordan was the first global 
athlete phenomenon that had the commercials, that had the endorsements, that had the Gatorade, the Hanes, the Nikes, the Jordans. He was the first, well, you had Magic and Bird before him, but there was Converse, but it wasn't global. Like, like it wasn't international, like the, the Michael Jordan drop, right? Mm-hmm. I look at, like, you know, your Curtis Blow, your Run DMCs, and those guys, like, your, your Big Daddy Kings. I look at those guys, like, the Michael Jordan of, of, of artists when it comes to the endorsements and doing business and sponsorships and deals with corporations, you know, because um, mm-hmm. they were, like, like, the first ones. Yeah, because I believe Run and DMC had told a story about how an Adidas rep went to a Run DMC show at Madison Square Garden. And when they was about to do My Adidas, Run had told the whole crowd, I want everybody to take off one Adidas, put it in the air, and then they went to My Adidas. And still to this day, I've never seen Run or DMC, RIP Jam Master J, wear anything outside of Adidas. Nah, I haven't either. I mean, Adidas I, owes everything to Run DMC, just like Kango, I believe, owe everything to LL. Because I don't think outside of him and I think Kango Kid, rest in peace, UTFO, nobody was really rocking Kangos like that. Forgot about LL. You know, you know, LL. You know what's crazy? LL always kind of gets left out of that mix. But if you go back and look at it, I mean, we're talking his career, eighty four, eighty five. That 79 to that gap, like he's kind of right there almost as a forefather because he took what they did and he right he elevated, you right. know, he, he first one to corner the phrase go. Right. But let's talk about what he really did that really made hip hop and fashion really go to a whole nother level. You remember the gap commercial he did, right? Yeah, the FUBU, yeah. Yeah, so he's on the low, plugged FUBU on the 30-second yeah. gas spot because he was one of the early celebrity endorsers of FUBU. Yep. FUBU went worldwide because, as you know and I know, everybody was rocking those 05 FUBU jerseys at West. <laughs> if you know, you know. But then to see where Damon John is now, him being on Shark Tank, this man came from hip-hop. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's It's... It's crazy, right? Like, but it's yeah. Like LL did though. When you think about that, he did. He he did a lot in terms of bringing that to the forefront, though. Because before him, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone pulled. Not not that he pulled a stunt, but he. It was a very shrewd, very shrewd business move. And you know, he was a he was a he was an endorser, and I'm pretty sure he was more than likely an investor. <laughs> so like yeah yeah because yeah, I saw in interviews that Damon was talking about how people were going to the gap to look for FUBU because they thought yeah. that it was in FUBU but yeah. you know that set FUBU off but then again like I said earlier some of those brands weren't really messing with the urban crowds you know Timberlands Timberlands really, really, really wasn't messing with us like that before the rappers and the uh, R&B acts started to make that hot. Tommy Hilfiger, Nautica, the list goes on and on about these brands that wasn't specifically for us, but we hey, took what? them and made them hot. Tupac had a special one that he that he had a special relationship with uh, Carl Kanai. Remember Kanai? Oh yeah, 
He was a black. He was, I, I believe, Carcanai. I think he was a black guy. Black yeah, Car yeah, Carcanai. And then y'all see, you had Cross Colors. You had yeah. um, Echo. You had um, oh. Willie Esco. Man, I'm old. I'm old as dirt, knowing all these old names, man. But just think about how a lot of these urban designers, fashion designers, came in and say, "We're gonna make clothes that's specifically for us," and right. knowing that since we are the curators of cool that everybody else want to hop on the bandwagon because if it's nothing that Americans know how to do to other countries, we know how to export our culture. You may not know a lick of English, but but you recite a Snoop rap. Yep, absolutely. Man, it's, it's I mean it is all in it though. When you think about when you think about those European brands and styles and stuff, man, think if you look at like if you at, like look at it, it only make them to a certain size. They don't they don't it don't make them to every size, so everybody really can't really can't wear it. Mm -hmm. Unless special like, you know, specialty made or something like that. But yeah, no, every everybody can't wear a lot of Balenciaga, man. They don't the way they tailor it is a little bit different. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. And I was looking at an interview with on all the smoke, um, Steven uh, Jackson and Matt Barnes show, great show. They had Will Smith on. And how Will Smith was talking about he had to beg Michael Jordan to let him wear the fresh pair of J's on the Fresh Prince. Because, yeah. as you know, Jordan didn't really come up under hip-hop. It was when hip-hop was coming into its infancy and he was of right. the generation where, okay, I listen to it, but I'm not of the culture. How right. once Will rocked the J's on Fresh Prince, everybody had to go run the Foot Locker to get that orange Nike box. Yeah, yeah, man. He ran, he ran the bag up for him. He had he had a target audience. He had a target group that was watching the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, and he was and more times than not, Will was fresh on the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah, the, like, those Jays were cold. He was fresh. So you watching the episode of that man was that you know you see that you see that every night. Absolutely, going you're going into the stores and you're going to go buy it and it's going to run the price and run the profit up. And eventually, if you look at Jordan now, now look, he's immersed all in the hip hop culture. In fact. You can make a stamp to say like Jordan is stamped in the hip hop culture. I don't see it leaving no time soon. Nope. Everybody's gonna buy Jays. And even though he was born in Brooklyn, he was raised in Wilmington, North Carolina, at guard, six foot six, North Carolina Tar Heel. And you know what it is. And I yeah. mean, like you stated earlier, his impact. He took the foundation that Larry Bird and Magic Johnson built when they came in the league and took it on a global level. Because remember when the Dream Team went overseas in 92 and bodied everybody in the Olympics? The opposing team was one to go take pictures. And how the international guys of today, like the Giannis, the Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, all of those guys, Dirk, Tim Duncan, all of them pretty much started once that dream team team went on that tour in 92 and just made the NBA game global. And like I said, because of Michael globally, LeBron pretty much took what Michael did yeah. and ran. That's why you can never supersede it. You can't supersede something that you didn't, that you weren't necessarily coined as the one to, to change it. Right. So like, yeah, LeBron he took he he left off where Michael left left, and he's he's taking it as far as he's probably gonna take it, 
even to today, I think Jordan still outsells LeBron's shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and he ain't played in over twenty some years. But he, but but even when that ninety two team went to Barcelona, even in the docks, you can see it. They had a a, a look like a skyscraper size picture of Jordan. Had a whole skyscraper size picture of Jordan in Barcelona. Nike. It was a Nike. I think it might have been a Nike. Yeah, it was Nike. Nike, Nike ad or something like that. And this was 92. It won't know other pictures of nobody else in Barcelona. You ain't see Magic. You didn't see Bird. You didn't see no other, nobody else. You saw Jordan in Barcelona in 92. And that was on the dream team. Mm-hmm. Four, 11 Hall of Famers. Right. So yeah, man, he changed it. And right. LeBron, it's nothing LeBron can. It's not even LeBron's fault. He just came in a different era. But you're not, you're not gonna, unless you do something out like drastically incredible. You're not gonna supersede something that set the standard, that set the ball. Like you can pass records and you can do all of that, but you cannot change impact. And impact matters when it comes to that. Yeah, because, I mean, let's face facts. The NBA ain't good when Michael was playing. Every game that the Bulls went to, whether it was home or away, sell out. Yeah, yeah, it is. They, they really good. That's sad, man. I mean, LeBron has done a good job carrying that, though, you know, but it's hard to – someone that came before you that made such an impact and that – Pretty much made it so you can benefit from it, and 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 that's still benefiting from it. Like mm-hmm. Jordan, still, it's it's almost an impossible mission right. to be try to put yourself in position to supersede that. You you well, you really almost can't. Yeah, because you're chasing the ghost, really. Because when LeBron got drafted, it was the year after Mike retired for good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even then. He had he he was still in the crossover phase because Kobe was the bridge. Kobe is the Kobe was the bridge to the to the, to the Jordan to LeBron phase because Kobe kind of bought himself out because he patterned his game just like Mike. Right. Yeah. Mike was the original. Kobe was the remix of Mike. He's the younger generation's version of Mike who only know Michael Jordan from the shoes and from YouTube and how for our generation we were lucky. To see Mike, LeBron, and Kobe, yeah, all in their primes, all, all in their primes, and Kobe did pretty well with his shoes too. He did pretty mm-hmm. well, with, with, well, but he never reached the status of Mike either, right? You know, Kobe had an impact, but he didn't have right. He had, Kobe had a very strong impact, but nobody had the same cultural impact as Jordan. Period. Right. right. Later, forty years later. And we still releasing retros that came out from 85. And and here's the thing. They've gotten smart with the game and gotten smart over time. It's great business practice the way they're doing this supply and demand situation here, right? Mm-hmm. So they already know that the demand is going to be high for any retro that they release, whatever number, whatever color. Back in the day, when they used to release Chew, when they used to release Jordans, not the Jumpmans, not the Team Jordans, but they used to release, you know, the Jordans, they would have several, they would have all sizes, multiple pair of sizes, right? Mm. Now, 
they're only giving they only give in select stores only a certain amount of shoes and they're doing a ticketed system so it creates the demand even more so now they're making less product and selling it for more money and us the people as consumers we're going to still going to go buy it no matter what the price run up to because of what they are and they're all the thing they're doing each year is they're restricting the amount of product they're making more and more and more and it's crazy because when you think about how much it costs to make the actual shoe and to make the actual shoe it makes you wonder what dad if it only costs only this amount of cent to make it you're sending it to america to mark it up fifteen thousand percent or whatever the, whatever the percent is and you're only releasing a certain amount you're only releasing a handful of amounts to select stores mm. wow what a great marketing strategy what a great business strategy yeah Yep. And if you are the lucky person to get your hand on those Jordans fresh out of Foot Locker, try to get out of that parking lot alive. Because trust me, some stick up kids will be doing the burn band hand rub saying, come up off those. <laughs> Don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm going to call Lacking as that guy. Yeah. Keep, him in the, keep him in the box. Yeah, or, but, put or order online. That way you could be safe and at home and not have to worry about uh trying to walk back to your neighborhood and you got the kids running behind you. And it kind of reminded me of how back in the day when starter was a hot commodity and how the same situation. If you had a certain starter jacket on, you were lunch meat. Yeah, that cowboy starter jacket was fire. The, 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 uh, the Tar Heels one and... Charlotte Hornets. Oh yeah, the Charlotte Hornets one was fire too. Yeah, bring back the purple and teal jerseys. That's all. Yeah, that's that all I gotta say about that. The purple and teal jerseys, because I mean, the Hornets when they first came to the league, I think they held the record for most sellouts by NBA team. Because I mean, the city, the whole state was on fire. Because as we both know, North Carolina is a basketball hotbed, primarily college, with all the local schools in the triangle in their pedigree. But when the Hornets came into the league. It was a whole different level. Every game at the half was sold out, and you had Larry Johnson, Muggsy Bowles, Alonzo Mourning, uh, Dale Curry, who gave birth to little Steph, you know, who cooking changed the NBA game. And yeah. But fun fact, I know everybody knows this, the Hornets originally drafted Kobe. But it Kobe is. didn't want to play for Charlotte, so they ended up doing the trade where they traded Matt Geiger, Vladi Divox, Eldon mm -hmm. Campbell to the Lake. I mean, to, the, to Charlotte, so that Kobe, yeah, go to LA. Yeah, yeah. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. It would, it would have been a show to see him in Charlotte. Time back into investing, man. Time back into an inv to investing, man. Talking about the shoes and talking about the price of supply and demand, you know, when it comes to that, you know, it's a fun fact. Again, wants and needs. The Jordans are nice, but like, what are they going? Hundred ninety dollars? Yeah, hundred ninety. Get you a pair. Hey man, that's that's you can you can buy you a share of Apple and a couple and, and a couple other more stocks for that one hundred and ninety dollars plus tax. Mm -hmm. Like something just that simple. Something a choice just that simple. Okay, you miss these drops. Side, it's okay. You can get the next drop. They, they drop every month. They drop, they drop multiple pairs every month, every other month. So okay, you missed that drop, but you know you didn't buy those Jordans. However, 
save that. Let's see. You save that one hundred ninety dollars in tax, and you just put that one hundred ninety dollars inside, and just let let's just say, let's just say, theoretically speaking, that whatever one hundred ninety dollars, whatever you put in tax, let's just say you set that aside, you forgot about it, you go back and see it, it's now five hundred dollars. Let's say a year down the road, you didn't do nothing for that. You didn't do nothing for that, but you just see. But it's the the power of patience. You're in discipline. Your discipline of saying, okay, I want these Jordans right now, but I don't need them. And saying, I'm going to leave these right here, but I'm going to take this $190 and I'm going to flip it, but I'm going to do it in the right way. Mm. You know, I'm doing it this way. I'm going to take it and I'm going to invest it. And so now, while just in one instance had $190, by my own patience and by my own discipline, I just went about a very quality value company. And I know that they just did great in the earnings. And now that $190 or whatever it is that may be, like I said, it's it's five hundred now, and it's just sitting. I got a choice and the option now to either take it out, or I got a choice to let it sit and let it continue to grow. Now it come down to it. Let's just say I'm feeling froggy. Now I wouldn't say I wouldn't advise nobody to do it, but do what you want to with do what you want to with your money. I, I ain't, you know I'm just saying just just talking, but you know at the same time at that at that time frame that hundred ninety dollars. If your patience allowed that to grow with a value reputable company to five hundred. Now you can go buy you two three pairs, man. Right, because think about the money Nike made ah. when Nelly dropped Air Force ah. Ones. Oh, my gosh. And that's another thing, too, with it, you know, when it comes to this thing, too, bro, like, with investing. Think, I, and I look at it like this. For almost everything I own, if it's, if, if for almost everything I own, if it is quality and it is a great company, whatever the case may be, why not own it? So if I got an iPhone, and I pay monthly to this iPhone anyway, or my whatever. If I pay that and I use it, and I got Apple products. Why would I not buy into the company? Mm -hmm. If I have nothing but a closet full of Nikes and Jordans, why would I not buy into the company? Why would I not buy into Nike? And they pay dividends. Mm -hmm. Why would I want? Why would I want to buy into Nike? You know, I mean, it makes it makes all the sense in the world. It's taking some of the ownership back for yourself. If you're gonna be paying on something anyway, you might as well get benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let the money work for you and not the other way around. Exactly. exactly. Right. Right. And then I want to touch on this. Um, as we know, Beyonce just announced that she's gonna be doing her Renaissance War tour, and the ticket prices just dropped. But now the concert industry has gotten smart to where we're not just gonna offer standalone tickets anymore. We're gonna do packages. In addition to the general admission tickets, you're going to have your general admission premium package. You're going to have your VIP package. You're going to have your platinum VIP package or whatever other VIP pack package you have. And you're going to gladly pay that hefty penny because concerts are not just concerts anymore. They're it's lifestyle experiences now. Right. But also Live Nation and Ticketmaster have cornered the market because the justice system allowed both companies to merge. Therefore, they can control the prices for tickets. And sadly, fans who love certain artists will get priced out, won't be able to go get a cheap seat at the concert because the price point is too high. Yeah, they've created a monopoly. They've created they've created a monopoly in 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 this era, and not even this era, but in this climate, in this time, it's the best time to capitalize, you know, because we're in an inflation. We're in an inflationary times right now. So with inflation, as we know, everything drives up. It continues to go up. It continues to go up. So 
now with them already monopolizing the market anyway, yeah, we'll bump them prices up. Because, I mean, at this point, we are, it is inflation. Everything costs more. Get a dozen of eggs. That costs way more now, right? <laughs> like, so is they have they have it's the it's the perfect it's the perfect storm for these companies to take advantage of the time and to try and to justify it with well it is we are in inflation so let's say it takes more money for them to run their company it takes more money for them to operate because they got to pay more to their vendors and whoever whoever else they need to pay so in order for them to make some kind of a profit they got to hike up their prices for the consumers so they can get more revenue come in to operate to pay their vendors. I mean, that's the way they'll try to justify it. But to the regular consumer like you or I trying to go to a Beyonce concert, it's like, bro, <laughs> they want rent. <laughs> yeah. When I first saw the price, prices drop, I was like, I'm putting on this one. So, um, yeah, because with the whole Taylor Swift thing, same thing. When her tickets drop, Fans crashed the Ticketmaster website. Folks had multiple windows open trying to score tickets. One girl got charged over, I want to say, maybe $10,000 because her screen had to keep getting refreshed when she was trying to place the order for the tickets because of the lag in the internet speed because it was such a high frenzy demand right. for the tickets. You know, it's, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that's crazy. Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah, Fortunately. Yeah, and Beyonce got a cool $24 million to perform in Dubai for the opening of that luxury hotel over there. So everybody wants to be in the business of B. And as we see, she's only doing stadiums. So sadly, if you get a nosebleed, you ain't going to really be seeing too much because it's going to be in the stadium. It's going to be wide open. So the only way you could probably see it in the cheap seats is if they have a little jumbotron or something so that way, where you could be able to see it. Because I was looking and general mission tickets will run you, I want to say lowest probably, somewhere between 76, 77 bucks. And the yeah. highest uh, general mission ticket will probably run like 128, 130. You know, which, which ain't bad, but it's all based on how much do you want to spend. Right. How much of an experience do you want to have? You know, and shoot. I mean, if I gotta watch you on the jumbotron, it's almost like being in church and watching church on the overflow. I could have stayed at home for this. I yeah, watch yeah. I, I could have waited till the bootleg man at the barbershop came with the DVD. Said, "Hey, I got that Beyonce Renaissance World Tour concert right here. Player five dollars, five dollars, five dollars." <laughs> and I got that Joe Burrow pack. <laughs> Smoking I mean, Joe Burrow. Shout out has, to has figured out a way to leverage her career to the any that she don't have to. She doesn't really have to do a marketing scheme or waste marketing time anymore. Mm. She can just drop the album tonight at twelve o'clock and it's gonna gonna go. She can just announce a tour and it's gonna sell out. Like, right. But that's the power of the music, though. Right. But think about is that are. Connected to a Beyonce, or that are connected to that Beehive, that are getting paid out for these moves that she's making. So basically, mm -hmm. it's almost like it's, Beyonce almost has like a LeBron effect. Mm -hmm. Whatever time she creates like an, as an economy, like LeBron when he goes to Cleveland, he brings all of these all of this money and 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 stuff that comes into Cleveland when he comes of just work, right? And then when he leaves, so goes the money, right? But you has a major impact in in how much 
comes in because everybody's gonna come see LeBron. So everybody's coming coming in for that. Same thing with Beyonce. Everybody wanna work with Beyonce. Everybody's gonna wanna come to see Beyonce. Everybody wanna be a part of that because they know it's dollar signs. It's major dollar signs involved, and everybody's gonna benefit if the contracts are right. Right. And thinking about the Super Bowl and how Rihanna is going to be doing the halftime show. And this right. is her first public performance in years since she stepped away to go run the Savage Fenty line and become a mom with ASAP right. Rocky and how she necessarily don't really have to perform because she's eating good off the Savage Fenty line. Yeah, eating real good off the Savage Fenty line. If I ain't mistaken, she, she crossed over to the billion dollar status, didn't she? Uh, I, I know that she's living quite handsomely and probably doesn't have to put out another album if she does not want to. Now, you we were touching on the NBA players with impact and culture. And this one guy that I'm glad that while he's still alive, everybody's giving him his flowers, appreciating the culture that he brought to the NBA and everybody except for Tyron Lue, of course, from the 757, Bubba Chuck. AKA Allen Iverson. He's a very interesting character in NBA league history because he's the one player that didn't have a championship, but he celebrated as if he got multiple championships. He probably should be the one NBA player that gets residual checks for almost everything until the day that he dies. I mean, when you think about the impact that guy had when it came down to Everything, the do-rags. You've never seen an NBA player with a do-rag before him. You've never seen an NBA player rock the cornrows like that before him. Dennis Rodman did have the tattoos like that before him, but he didn't wear them. Like, he didn't wear them. He wore them in an in a, in a awkward way. Iverson wore them like a cool – he wore them like in this, this cool swagged out type of a way. The armband. That he should be getting – that armband should get should have his, his – Kids, 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 kids set. Because everybody wears the armbands today. Even Kobe wore. Yeah, nobody was wearing that before AI. AI was the Jodeci of the NBA. And fun fact, Jodeci's from North Carolina, by the way. And how he pretty much took the look and aesthetic of hip-hop and brought it to the NBA game. I mean, and he 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 was look like the dude I probably see probably walking down the street somewhere in the butter Tim's in the in the Tim hoodie. Yeah, man, for real. Like he he changed it. I mean, everybody out everybody out the everybody out there that literally was was getting got something from him. Like mm-hmm. I don't care what it was, got something from him. his whole his whole his whole demeanor, right. his whole demeanor. and like there's something that has been taken from him from a lot of the NBA players. He's almost like if Jordan is a model, he's a model. Is If it's like if it's jo- model Jordan, model Kobe, model LeBron, there is a model Averson that's there. Right. It's a model. Right. And model. yeah, and with the Super Bowl coming up next week, how this will be the first Super Bowl in history with two black starting quarterbacks with Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and how right. the quarterbacks before them, like the Randall Cunninghams, Joe Gilliams, the Doug Williams, Donovan McNabb, who severely underrated. But one guy, I think, well, because of his issue, he's looked at negatively. But if you look at the likes of the quarterbacks that came after him, like we mentioned, Hurts, Mahomes, you got Cam Newton, you have 
Lamar Jackson, Tyler Huntley, list goes on and on. All the black quarterbacks came after this guy. But the impact that this guy has made on the NFL, especially amongst the modern-day black quarterback, doesn't get talked about enough. Michael Vick, another 757 native. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, yeah. because of the whole dogfighter issue, you forget I, all that. Uh, honestly, I think Vic has the Iverson effect in the NFL. I think that he has the impact of an Iverson in the NFL. I, I, I think they even look at him like that, especially the black quarterbacks, especially the black quarterbacks, and especially the black mobile quarterbacks. I think they do look at him like the Iverson of the NFL because he was the same. If you go back and look at early Vic, Vic had cornrows. He had the he had the do rags, rocking the do rags, the throwback jerseys. He had all. He was doing all of that, you know. Around the same time, Iverson was doing what he was doing um, in the NBA. So I don't think that the players are doing that now, as far as their dress code, but their style, his style of play, you can see, you can see the electricity and his style of play. And you, I mean, those they grew up on him. Michael, the Michael Vick experience was a real thing. It was a real Michael Vick experience. He had the shoes. He did have the shoes. He had one of two of the biggest at the time, two of the biggest contract signings of the hundred million dollars. Two of them. He had two different hundred million dollar contracts he signed. So, like, yeah, I think he had the average impact. And while we are on that football topic, uh, you know, spinning that around, uh, fun fact, two things. One, uh, Lamar Jackson's. He's doing. I think him and his mom are doing a phenomenal job representing representing himself and trying mm -hmm. to get the new contract that he's trying to seek. And sitting out that game was very critical to his to his his stock as far as trade stock or as far as stock period. And then the other thing, the interesting part of the NFL is going on now is there are some players that were taking their salary in Bitcoin, crypto. Yeah, and um, because with Lamar Jackson representing himself and everything, you think about the likes of. Kurt Flood in baseball, Oscar uh, Robinson in basketball, you know, Reggie White in the NFL yeah. ushered in modern day free agency because before free agency, you were tied to your team for life. Yeah. But these guys are like, no, we, we're going to go and we're going to do what we want. We want to have player empowerment, player movement, you know, with LeBron's decision. It was on the shoulders of those giants. That he was yeah. able to say, I'm going to go to Miami. Yeah. 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 And he changed the course of the NBA by taking that move and going to Miami. Right. And to see how he was able to bring Maverick and Randy and all of his guys along to where they're respected in their business deals. And a lot of the older NBA players said LeBron was the guy that took pieces of what we were trying to do, put it all together. And got it right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they were his crew. I mean, they invested in him early. And he invested into them late, later, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a that's how it's that's how it's supposed to go. That's how you that's how you would want it to go. Mm -hmm. Um, think of Rich Paul, he has one of the best, if not the best, premier sports agency firm going. Clutch. You ain't clutch. <laughs> if you're not clutch, man, you're not really, you know, you're not really making a whole lot of noise and moves. And so to know that that's connected to LeBron, that's, that's incredible. To know, like, that the the film, you know, the film division that they have, that's connected to them. So it's like they've taken pieces of game 
and stretch it out, even down to like the investing tip. LeBron is a LeBron is a very impressive investor. He invested in Blaze Pizza before Blaze had became booming. He invested in Beats, you know, mm -hmm. and as well. So it's a lot of these things that went into when you go look at it. Like you know, he's the first active player that's ever had a, been worth a billion dollars while still playing. But a lot of that does not come from just his his NBA salary alone, which he's made on the north side over three hundred million. But it comes from his his investments. He made a lot of sound, a lot of smart investments through his playing career that they ultimately have added to his portfolio and has added to his net worth. And and that's the thing. Everybody's not going to have that type of money or operate like a LeBron. But if you look at that and look at what was done. We can all operate on that on small scales, right? So right. I, we're not going to have, you know, if we're working for the salary, we're not going to keep the whole salary that every job pays us. But, you know, at the same time, what are we creating outside of this job that will allow us to maximize what we're getting paid? He just took his NBA money and his, he just took his NBA salary, he took his NBA money, he took, he took that money he invested early. So now he, you know, it, it works. It's working for him, you know. So it's a very, very cool thing, man. Yeah, diversifying that portfolio. And LeBron followed the philosophy of Ace Boogie from Payton Four. Everybody eats. I'm not going to yeah. get all the shine by myself. I'm going to put people on. And he right. put his boys on. Like you said, he invested in them early. And now they're off running and doing their thing. And it's crazy because LeBron, is, he, he's from our era. Same yeah. age as us, man. Yeah. We were in high school when LeBron got drafted. Yeah, I remember, man. I remember the Sports Illustrated cover when he was on it in high school as a junior. I remember that cover. Like I, I remember having it because I remember seeing it. And I thought it was so foreign that a high school junior was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and they was talking about the fact that he wanted to go pro after his junior year. He really won. He was trying to go pro out his junior year, but I think the NBA had they had a rule, and I think they stopped him. But he had petitioned to try to get drafted after his junior year. Picture that. Yeah, because I can remember seeing his first ESPN national televised game uh, with St. Vincent St. Mary, and after that game, I was like, boy, legit, super legit. I always used to just wonder, like, what? I always wonder, like, dang man, it'd be funny to see that guy come to this gym. Mm. Thunder. Come to the West Jump, come play in the West Jump. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, and speaking of basketball, I'm glad that ESPN and Netflix, too, two separate pieces, but they're finally recognizing the impact of street ball culture on today's modern day NBA and how and one helped usher that. Because you and I know West Jim doing those gas and Garrisburg pickup games. Everybody was trying to be like NBA Street in real life. Be like Hot Sauce, Professor, Main Event, Helicopter, Escalade, Shane the Dribbling Machine, Spider, the air up there, and I could go on and on with all the other and one guys. Yeah, man. There is a lot of them guys, man. Like, you're right, though. It had an impact. It had a major cultural impact, for sure, on the basketball side of things, because everybody was trying to do those moves. Even It even made the NBA. You remember? The, it made the NBA. Not NBA. Well, Let's say Nike. It made Nike. Oh, it the made freestyle Nike. commercial. It made them do that freestyle commercial when they had the, 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 the shoes and the basketball, man. So they shook it up for a while. It's a shame that it's a shame that um it didn't, you know, it didn't 
well, it reached its potential, I suppose. I guess it reached its potential, but it's a shame that it didn't go further and, you know what I'm saying, start get to a point where um, they would be able to, like, play either retired NBA players or either mm. play NBA players. Right. And that that's, yeah, and that's the good thing now with Ice Cube's Big Three League and how it's giving those retired guys that outlet to say, hey, I can still go. And for those of you that don't know, Showtime just released a documentary called Stan about the life of Mahmoud Abdul Rauf and how he took a stand when it was unpopular and how he paid the price for it. And you pretty much can draw a line from what Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did, Craig Hodges, yeah. Abdul-Raouf, and Kaepernick. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, his career suffered majorly because of that, as as did Kaepernick's. But his career suffered majorly because he was a walking bucket. He had to. He, he, he had to rest. He was a bucket getter. I remember him. I do remember he played at LSU with Shaq. I do mm -hmm. remember that. Uh -huh. I remember like his he I remember watching early games of him and I was like, this guy can shoot. Like he was Steph before Steph. Yeah, he was. He was. It's, it's it's a shame. It's just the era that he came out in, like there wasn't this whole wave that we have now. Like you to the like well, you did that in the that's part of the nineties. Mm. A different era. Yeah, and that's what he mentioned, you know, in the doc, how, you know, with now you have social media and how back then you didn't have that luxury and how it wasn't really popular to take a stand on issues that didn't that didn't follow with the company line and how players and the rest of the league pretty much left them high and dry because they were yeah. worried about not fumbling their bag. You know, yeah. I got kids to feed. I got families yeah. to feed, so yeah. I can't risk it all, even though I know in my heart you're right, but publicly yeah. I gotta toe the company line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got I got it, yeah, exactly. I mean, they left him. I mean, assembly, I mean, honestly, the same way they left Kaepernick. And the only reason why they got Kaepernick was a couple of issues that came after, but they kind of left Kaepernick too. And mm -hmm. the same yeah, I don't know if you've seen him or not, but I haven't seen him play another down in the NFL. No, I have not either. And I think that kind of comes with where, like how I mentioned the late Bill Russell and Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and those guys, they came from an era where it was it was in, in vogue. It was yeah. a part of your duty to be politically engaged, have some stream of consciousness about yeah. yourself and be an upliftment to your right. people. Whereas right. now and generations after that is all about hey, I got mine, you get yours, uh, whatever it is, I ain't got I ain't got no parts of that. Cause that's why people were hammering Michael Jordan. Remember back in the early 90s where they wanted him to endorse Harvey Gantt, who was running for mayor of Charlotte, black, right. black Democratic mayor. And I believe he had made the statement of uh, Republicans buy sneakers too. And yeah, Mike caught heat for that. Yeah, he did. Well, you know, Mike was about, man, Mike was about ball, man. It was about that money. It's about that money, man. Mike wanted his money. Mike wanted to win, and Mike wanted his money. You know, he was, you know, he donated to other causes and stuff, right. but he, that that statement that he made wasn't, that statement he made was was huge. 
and it 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 reigned supreme over any cause that he could have participated in or did whatever. It it was that statement was big, you know, because right. loved him, you know, and that was Michael Jordan. Like he almost he had the juice, right? But he wasn't gonna ruin that image that he had created that would have allowed him to be Air Jordan, that had allowed him to become this global phenomenon that we knew as Michael Jordan. Right. And I think that's kind of like the burden we bear as African-Americans, especially when you're in a position of power and influence that people feel that it is your responsibility to be a voice for the voiceless and speak on issues that you may or may not be well-versed about, but you just got to know that comes a part of the territory and, you know, seeing LeBron and a lot of the younger athletes now standing up on the issues of social justice, speaking on it. And when the Bucks had refused to play in the game in the bubble and how they are more in tune with what's going on and say, you know, we're going to take a stand. Right. You know, we could care less about the dollars. You know, this is what's going to, given the situation with uh, Tyree Nichols out in Memphis and how the Grizzlies ended up speaking out on it and how, you know, everybody is using their cachet, their influence to say, hey, enough is enough. We're going to take a stand on it. You know, we're not going to sit and be quiet, stay silent. We're not going to shut up and dribble. Right. Well, yeah, it's they got a lot of eyes on them, and they have a lot. Of, they have a lot of eyes on, them. and whether they know, you know, whether they know it or not, I want to accept it or not. That comes with a lot of responsibility, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being in that position is is a position where obviously it's a favorable position, and obviously you know you got a next generation that's that's watching that, that's watching them looks up to them that, oh, if I meet them, sign my autograph is the best thing ever. And then so, you know, if you got any kind of conscience in the world, you care about that. You know, you you kind of care about that. You, you you care about different things. And it's, yeah, it's about ball, but it's about things that affect you and, and affect your community as well. And it's, it's, I hate to say it from a standpoint, of, like, you know, you have a duty to do something like that because, you know, you you don't. You can do whatever you want to do. You know, the choice is up, up to you. But it's it's morally, you know, if you see if you're seeing these things, you know, happening, and you are in a position of power, a position of influence, or from a position or a standpoint that you can help, you know, can you sleep at night? You know, I mean, some can. You know, some some people can. You know, some people can't though. You know, right? And you know, to go back into the hip-hop space and how we mentioned Jay-Z and how billionaire and how he said in H to Izzo, I'm paying them back for what they did to the Cold Crush. I mean, the early pioneers, like I stated, weren't able to reap the fruits of the labor of today's artists. You know, when you see the likes of Jay-Z, Nas, 50, Dre, be able to parlay their rap careers into other investments and how... When you first get into the music industry, you're going to get screwed with a bad contract. You're not going to own your publishing. No. You're going to only get a certain amount of cents on the record. 
360 and, and your advance is pretty much just a fancy way of saying a loan. Because whatever right. the labels have to pay, it's coming out of your budget. Everybody else eats before you do. You're going to get left with crumbs. And that's what made it so important for the likes of him, the likes of, I want to say, Prince, Michael Jackson, how they understood the business and the inner workings. Now, I got to own my stuff. If I don't own my stuff, I'm going to be broken pennies. Well, you know, the biggest flex that Michael Jackson had, one of the biggest flexes that Michael Jackson ever pulled was when Eminem dissed him on a song. Michael Jackson went and bought his catalog, bought his publishing. The biggest I, flex. Oh, oh I, didn't, I didn't hear about that one, that uh, MJ brought Eminem's catalog after hey. Eminem threw shots at the King of Pop. Yeah, man. See, I mean, it's it's a it's a story about that out there, though. But he def definitely got got one of them back catalogs for sure. Like, yeah. So it's like flexes in the world, <laughs> like like. But yeah, uh, it's industry has changed. You know, it's it's more in, but it has. You know, you you signing deals and you know, you get an advance, but they, they hit you with a 360 deal. Now, even when you tour, they got your hands in your pocket. Even when you sell a merch, they got your hand, their hands in your pocket. So they got their hands in your pocket through every mm -hmm. turn. You know, yeah. so it, it's so many different avenues that you can get hung up in and signing the contracts and signing these deals that you will be getting crumbs. And, you know, you got some some different... And I'll tell you another guy who was an artist that actually that ended up um, completely leveraging and doing really well. Camillionaire. He ended up going out. And you remember Camillionaire? Uh, yeah, Brian Dirty. Dirty. Yeah, I heard he's really big in the tech space. The tech space. So, you know, he went out there to out there to the Valley, you know, and took some of that money and made it work for him, man, and, and, and invested in some companies. Tell you another, another really good investor now that has a second life that nobody saw coming, Thought about you know anything, MC Hammer. Oh, I was about to mention Hammer, and I was going to tie that into the Bay Area and how the Bay Area is all about that hustle. They know how to take one dollar, flip it into two, like him, too yeah. short, E Forty, G E V, Late Mac Dre, all those rappers from the Bay pretty much but, had that "I got to go get it" mentality. MC Hammer was one of the first early investors in Twitter. Like so, he was MC Hammer. Like they get, he get a lot of punchline jokes, you know, going broke like Hammer, bankrupt, blah blah blah. Like a lot of jokes, but quietly behind the scenes, um, he has turned his second act. I mean, he has turned his second act around like amazingly. Like he went into like a tech space, and he has been he has been doing well in that lane in that industry. Post having a rap life and all of that stuff, man. Right. And we mentioned how, you know, Will Smith was really one of the first rappers to go mainstream pop, but Hammer, too. Hammer was pushing units. Please, no, he Hammer, was don't, hurt, please Hammer don't hurt him. Went Diamond. The man had his own action figure, had his own Saturday morning cartoon. He was the spokesperson for Pepsi, proper British <laughs> Knights, proper, proper. He did the soundtrack for the Adams family, proper, 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 proper. So yep. this hammer slander needs to stop. Yeah, it definitely gotta stop. I mean, imagine, I mean, the dude made what 32 mil and what 91? Can you imagine 32 32 million dollars in 1991 terms? Take yeah. taking 
comfortable and all that stuff. Nineteen out of one thirty one million. Yes, sir. That's big bank. Yeah, big bank take little bank. But I think the reason why Hammer caught so much flack at that time, it was because it was the divide in hip hop because you had some that still wanted to be a underground thing, not really go pop because they were worried. Like with rock, we invented it. Then somebody else come in, co-opt it. We're going to get erased from the history. And yeah. if we were to go pop, then that would mean the erasure of us. Yeah. But we look at, you need the mainstream success in order to be viable, in order to have stand power, in order to have legs. And like I said, hip hop is 50 years old this year. Who would have thought that a genre from the streets literally came from the rubble? It, hip hop is the rose that grew from the concrete. Yeah, it is. RP Tupac. It is. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. And I think what happened, I think what happened to Hammer in that time, I think is the same thing that happened to a lot of other rappers you can mention. Like, let's say, you know, let's say you're, uh, well, we can we can throw Will Smith in that mix. We can throw Will Smith in that mix with Hammer. Um, so a few more other ones that I'm 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 missing their names, but um, the emergence. Oh, you can throw Big Daddy Kane in there, mm -hmm. but um, uh, Kid and Play, you can throw them in there. Oh, but yeah. the of gangster rap around that time, once NWA hit and they figured out you, everybody figured, oh, you can curse in the records, like you can say this. And so once that like once that era of the game kind of happened, your pop side started to look whack. Like Hammer with them big pants and all, like you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like, and then Kid and Play, oh, your hot top fading, your kick too. Oh man, you bubblegum rapping. Like Will Smith, oh, you're positive. You're not. So like, and then Big Daddy Kane, even though Big Daddy Kane was dead nice as an MC, yes, his was it was upbeat. It was. It was it was fun loving. It was it was it was like Big Daddy Kane had sexy music. He didn't really have no grimy, you know, gutter type stuff. And think about Rock Kim didn't even cuss. Mm -hmm. He didn't cuss his music, right. but like that emergence of gangster rap, it changed the narrative of music. And so some of them guys, like they used to be hot. It's all oh, it's like the Ja Rule effect after fifty. I mean, Ja Rule was no slouch. Ja Rule was pushing units. I mean, we were singing along the baby putting on me and all that stuff, RIP Skating Station, and how when 50 Cent came in, he pretty much just torpedoed. I mean, to a point where people won't even listen to his, wouldn't be caught dead listening to a Ja Rule record. And just a couple summers before was pumping him. I'm talking about, put it on me. I'm talking about Every, and don't get it twisted. Ja Rule got some hits. Big time hits. Mm. But once 50 came, man, everybody was like, yeah, we ain't doing that Ja Rule, man. It's, it's, he's singing. He doing all that. But look at the power of the mind, the, 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 the master manipulator of the mind. 50 Cent came in and was clowning Ja Rule about that. And he came in and, and dropped 21 questions where he was singing. Mm. <laughs> but now 50 is don't have to put on another album either because he's making money off the power universe. Yes, and he and he made great investments. He did great investments. The Vinyl Award is probably is probably one of the best deals in in the history of hip hop in connection. If you know it, like you know that was a yeah. good deal. He had yeah. up he had some. He got a lot of he, you know he did a lot of the good investments and even down to if you would look at the bankruptcy situation a little bit, that man was never bankrupt. 
it's different chapters of bankruptcy that you can file to keep your money mm-hmm. and to up out of the system. And so, you know, sometimes, but it's it's it's, it's literacy though, because sometimes yeah. you automatically think, oh, chapter thirteen. That's but it's different chapters of bankruptcy though. Right, right. And speaking about the impact of business, this one man, he took a part of the country. Like I said, there was Memphis and what was going on with 8-Ball and MJG, 3-6 Mafia, RP Gangsta Boo. Um, Houston with Rap-A-Lot, Jay Prince, Ghetto Boys, RP Bushwick Bill. But this one man from New Orleans, Louisiana, took a label, made it made the sound worldwide, and this man got businesses on top of businesses. Chips, ice cream. He made you say, uh... So can we talk about Master P? Master P is like a guy, a father. He's in the he's in the echelon of well, I would put him in a category, say you're Jay-Z, because Jay-Z kind of did the same thing and just in a different variation, you know. Um, but Master P was influential for the South. He he changed the narrative for the South of the businessman of the South and the deals that he structured um, with the record labels, it was at the time. I mean, it was ahead of the time. It was ahead of the game. And then the the amount of work that he did after that, like after that, the man was putting out, it seemed like an album every every month or every week. It seemed like it was an album coming out every week. The oil paint uh, album covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the movies, the, the movies that came and then like, then he did the sports thing. He did a lot of stuff. He's done a lot of stuff and did a lot of business. And then ultimately, at one point, I think he tipped over at what three hundred million, five hundred. Think of three between three hundred and five hundred million. I think they had did him on the Forbes at one time. So to know that he actually started from like what a ten thousand dollars settlement from his like settlement accident settlement he got and opened a record store like nineteen, and then went from there. Like mm. it's an impressive. It's an impressive. Is an impressive show of like how you can start with nothing and invest into what you're doing and grow that and grow and scale that. Because I understand he took that ten thousand and flipped it like five hundred million. Right, and you know, with the South and everything, it was pretty much if you weren't coming out of Miami or Atlanta, Ooh. it was pretty much. Like, mm, we ain't really checking for y'all. But Master P made it so where, okay, we're going to put New Orleans on. Because I didn't know this until the No Limit Chronicles that actually the origins of No Limit started out in the Bay, out in Richmond, California. And then once mm-hmm. he relocated back to New Orleans, he took what he learned out there, applied it there, and No Limit became the juggernaut, you know, that that it was. Yeah, man. He it. It takes a certain level of being. It takes a level of just innovative, just being innovative. It's very innovative in in what he and what he saw in his vision and what he was what he was trying to do. I mean, at that time, we talking what ninety three, four, five, mm-hmm. give or take. Mm-hmm. Wasn't a lot of independent black labels out there at that time. I mean, you had up of Death Row, you had the starting up of Bad Boy, but. You know, you had your rap a lot. You, you, you had your you started on your rap a lot. You know, but like when you talk about from that boot 
You know, and coming out of that boot of Louisiana with a completely different style, completely different slang, talk, all of that, dress. Now, I will say Cash Money probably had, or had, probably had more influential when it comes to the, the dressing side of things than No Limit because I do remember with Cash Money, with Baby and Slim, you know, you had your Jabot pants, you had your Reebok shoes, your big, your, matter of fact, your, the big T-shirts that we used to wear, mm. I would say that would be a trailer to them. Right. And because of them, because of Cash Money, yeah, every clip that was named the Hot Boys. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is crazy. But going back to Atlanta really quick, how you had acts like Cameo, SOS Band coming yeah. out of Atlanta, and how once LA and Babyface set up shop down there with LaFace, mm -hmm. that opened the doors for all everything that came out of Atlanta, you know, so so deaf at the same time. But to think of how I look at Atlanta as like a real life version of Wakanda, where it's black excellence everywhere. Yeah. Especially in the music yeah. industry, because once people start to pay attention to Atlanta, they're like, oh, oh, y'all got something going on down in the South. But the it one thing about Atlanta that I like, not 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 to cut you off, but I was gonna make this point and then you come in, how Atlanta is very collaborative. It's the city that's too busy to hate. How you can see uh, act from So So Def collaborating with an act from the Face or insert record label here. How everybody's one big community, and it's like, if I win, we all win. True, that's true. Atlanta, I mean, it became the new New York. I mean, it came, but it became the new music capital of the world, basically. Because you know, at one point, New York was that's what the mm -hmm. sound was, music like that's what the record labels were, that's what mm -hmm. everything thing was but it's like Atlanta became that and it is it seems like it's it's unit unified I mean you had your you know you got your riffs you got your Shardalo TIB you got your you know your your, your Gucci man and mm. G -Riff, you know but right. it's from but outside of but outside of that stuff though it seems like it's a unified city mm. from what I wise anyway I mean Looking at the collaborations, I mean, in the last decade, a lot of the biggest hits and the biggest artists we know come from Atlanta. Yep, ATL, home of Waffle House. Go at go after midnight at your own risk, though. I'm a, I'm gonna right. tell you that right now. Go after midnight at your own risk. I mean, you can see the Waffle House fights, and you can know about that. Um, I do want to touch on real quick one group that I think had the cultural impact on hip hop, but they don't really get enough mention. I mean, Diplomatic Community was in the streets heavy and Killer, Jewels, Freaky, Hell Rail, Max B. Dipset was a movement. Dipset was a movement. Ice. Jewels. <laughs> Jewel Santana with the bandana. Ice. Dude, Dipset was a movement. That, yeah, Dipset. Diplomatic Immunity was on fire. And then the lead out, then the following, like, uh, after Come Home With Me, going to Diplomatic Immunity, and then bringing out, like, the hype for Purple Haze was real. And Purple Haze, low-key, Purple Haze is a dope album. I think Purple Haze is a pretty dope album, I think. Uh, but Diplomatic Immunity, man. Oh my god! That, that, that that's that one. I mean, I mean, I'm ready. 
I mean, oh. Yo Gotti had to pay tribute to that. He sampled that. Classic. That's it's classic. I mean, they don't. They set a lot of trends though. Dipset set a lot of trends across the board. Yeah, I see you. All of those who were wearing pink, I didn't do it. Thank God. But I saw a bunch of people at West Halls walking around with pink socks, pink chucks, pink shirts, pink headbands, pink sweatbands, looking like a backup B2K stand-in. I did see that, sir. I did. I do remember seeing that, sir. I couldn't do it, man. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't force myself to be having a five XL pink T-shirt on. I, I I couldn't do it. No, nah. no, I couldn't do that too. And another guy. I want to touch on before we go. A lot of people caught flack for this dude because this dude had talent, but because he used a technological tool for his success, people overlook mm, this boy is nasty. This boy is nice. Now he changed culture, whether we knew it or not. T Pain. He did. No, he definitely T Pain definitely changed the culture for sure. There was a point in time you couldn't hear nothing without hearing T Pain on it. T Pain on it. He took what Roger Troutman did with with the, the the synthesizer. He took it and he made see Payne made a complete it almost feel like a different genre. But he if there was a mastering of that, he mastered it and you can still hear it. You no matter if they don't give him the credit now, but you can still hear the influence. Listen to the rappers and listen to them rapping now. The harmonizing, that's where the harmonizer start to come from. Like the harmonizing, the half singing, half rapping, man. Lil Wayne, far as I know, just took the just took the uh, the auto tune off of his voice when he rapped. Right. I mean, you know, the impact of him when he brought, like you said, the singing melodic flow. Of rap has really embraced and adopted R and B heavy. Whereas back when we were coming up, we saw the early incarnations of it. But I would say the one act that that really did it well, got it right, and it was a breath of fresh air was BBD. Think think, think about BBD. Think about it. Okay, Ronnie, Ricky, and Mike come from New Edition, the juggernaut mm -hmm. that is New Edition. They mm -hmm. get the Bomb Squad, who mm -hmm. produced Public Enemy stuff, Ice Cube. Ooh, they brought yeah. the hip hop sound to R and B. I mean, Poison. Yeah, is a hip hop record. I mean, they sampled Kooji rap, and they had Kooji rap in the Poison video. Yeah, it's classic too. Poison yeah. to the get played anywhere and it's gonna pop. Don't yeah. even matter. Don't even matter the. I don't even think it matters the age group. I think I don't even think it matters that. I think if you throw Poison on and once you're that tap 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 tap, you're man, on the floor. You're on the floor. It's 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 a rap. It's a rap. Yeah, and the credit about their story that was told and about how they oh. endured a lot, you know, when they were kids. I mean, a dollar eighty-seven cent. How can you split a dollar eighty-seven five ways? And I mean, I, that contract probably should have been voided anyway because they were all minors. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's. It's an incredible story, man. Like, they went through a lot of bad contracts. Like, they didn't get their just due. Money-wise, I don't think they was, what, late 20s? Yeah, they didn't really start touching that real money until they put out the Heartbreak album and went on the Heartbreak tour. And that was when they really started 
to flourish into, you know, get their money. And of course, Bobby was already into his solo bag. And that's a whole nother story in itself because Bobby, culture-wise, if it wasn't for him, no Usher. Chris, no Chris Brown. Brown. No Marion. No Mario. None of the male R&B singers of the past 30 plus years wouldn't be where mm -hmm. they are without Bobby. Because if you look at Bobby's look, Bobby embodied the hip-hop look, but he had the R&B aesthetic. Yeah. Bobby was a bad dude, man. Like, go back and look at some of them, some of them videos, and you go back in that time, that era, man. He had, if it was ever anything to have, and that if you go back and look at that, he had it. Man, I want I was watching YouTube one night and I seen Bobby in Japan do rock with you, and he stretched it out for 14 minutes. A live show, one song, he stretched it out 14 minutes, and it was epic. <laughs> I mean, the talent that guy had, man, was it was impeccable. It was right. impeccable. It right. was impeccable. Honestly mm -hmm. speaking, I honestly think too that yeah, I, Chris Brown, cool. He got a, he, he done a lot, talented. But let's just say, right? Let's just say Bobby never got sidelined with drugs and never necessarily met Whitney and continued to put out consistent. Albums and keep that way going. Mind you, that first album, he that well, it was the second album, but that Don't Be Cruel album, mm. bro. All of those hits, man, man has what six, seven, eight hits. <laughs> I mean, the album went diamond, it was the number one selling album of 1989. I mean, LA and Babyface on the album, but it was a Teddy Riley produced record that really set that album off. And to tie it back into the 757, think of all of the talent that came out of that. We mentioned Vic and Iverson. But if it wasn't for Teddy setting up shop at Future Studios in Virginia Beach, we would never know of the Neptunes. Neptunes, never knew a Timberland, never Missy. knew a and, and all of that's from the Hampton Roads. Right. All of that right. going on at the same time. I mean, Missy Timberland right. was up in... Um, Upstate New York with Devontae in the basement, honing yep. their craft along with a Tweet and Player, rest in peace, Static Major. And yeah. like I said, the Dove tell that back in the NC, that was through Jodeci. And Jodeci's based out of Charlotte. They see JoJo, Dalvin, Devontae, and Fantasia's their cousin, Anthony Hamilton, their cousin. How about that? That's true. I forgot about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. Dang. Yeah, they are. I forgot about them. Yeah, yeah, they're all re all related, you know, and that's crazy with how the talent can pretty much be flowing ever so fluently. And with catalogs, and this last point before I want to get out of here, um, a lot of the older music artists are selling their catalogs and to major companies for a princely sum. Now, catalogs are pretty much an investment for the artists as to where if you got a stable full of hits, you can still eat. Because, like, Madonna or any of these legacy acts can still go out, perform, and tour off their old hits. Because you don't necessarily put out new music. We just want to hear the old stuff. So where do you see the value in artists selling off their catalogs? And how, you know, a lot of the technology now, when we were kids, are starting to come back into the forefront. How vinyl is now considered a collector's item. I mean, Walkmans, you could get one at a 
garage sale for maybe less than 10 bucks. But if you fix it and it's working right, you could probably go on the website and probably find it for 300 bucks. A Walkman. It's true. I mean, well, man, I think that it's important for them. I think it's a way of them taking back their leverage uh, for their for the rest of their life. Um, and two, I think that we're seeing more of that happen because of the tax benefits that comes from it. Um, mm. you know, lower interest rates, high interest rates for when they you know get their money from a large lump sum. Mm. Um, and let's be honest. Um. It's one of those types of things. Let's talk about a lot. Let's think about it like the lottery. Would you rather get two hundred and fifty million dollars today, or would you rather get two hundred and fifty million dollars in the span of let's say thirty years? You'll take it today. And because who knows what the tax breaks or the tax implications may be in thirty years from now. And if you're trying to secure your future, this is one way to secure it. Now, I mean, it's 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 a couple of ways to look at it. I I think that let's say I seen Justin Bieber so his for two hundred million. I saw Future sold his from between what sixty five and seventy five million. I think Dr. Dre sold his for two hundred million. I think Justin Timberlake sold his for a hundred million. Um, I'm trying to think, of this. it was a, it's, it's 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 starting to happen a bit more frequently now. So mm. I I think the pandemic, I think the pandemic, the the economy, I think kind of changed the outlook on it, which is why I think we're seeing it happen more now. And then artists, I think it ultimately does, I think it does benefit the artists, but it's interesting because at one point, think about the game. At one point, it was get the ownership of that. Get ownership. Now, it's, I got ownership. That's nice. You want to buy it? Here you go. And so it's a different, it's, it's, it's such a different switch around but I think depending on the artist, because again, you can get $250 million and blow it within four to five years. But what did you do with the money? So it's only as smart as it's only as good as a move as what you do with the moves after that. So great. You took care of your future and secured your future for you and your kids and your kids. Okay. Wonderful. You got the great tax break that you needed. Great. Wonderful. But now with this lump sum of money, are you going to reinvest that anywhere? Are you going to let that start to create and make money for itself as well? Because otherwise, yes, this is a lot of money. But the thing about it is that we're in a higher cost of living now. And at the same time, you're spending at a certain rate. So if you are accustomed to a certain lifestyle, this is why a lot of NBA and NFL players go broke within three to five years of them retiring. If you created a lifestyle where you're accustomed to making $100,000 a month, your lifestyle is set around that $100,000 a month. Once you start making $100,000 a month, say that you're making seventy-five, going down to $50,000 a month, you can't maintain the $100,000 a month lifestyle set up for yourself. Your money don't stretch like that. Mm -hmm. So it up, up ends itself and you, your broke is obviously not like our broke, but and that terms of it is a little bit different because you're not making the same. And so like with the artist standpoint is you get residuals and you get royalties, but how much are you really getting a month? How much you really get? How much are people really playing your music? How much like how, unless you are one of those artists where you're like you're still in a forefront, let's say a future. Future going to get a lot of play and a lot of little things coming up. Justin Bieber too. 
But, you know, and Dr. Dre too. But let's say it's some uh, a lesser artist, you know, they might not. So I think it, it makes sense for them to get their money. Um, I, I'm not too sure about giving up the ownership and how, you know. But if you can get your money, I mean, obviously get your money. But how are you going to spend your money? Before you get your money, you got to have a plan of what you're going to do with it. So if you get it and you never had that, let's say you are you're accustomed to having and getting paid big payouts. But what are you really going to do to try to lay $250 million on you if you haven't made a budget or you haven't made a plan for what you're going to do? Okay, if I get $250, i am going to take, you know, $150, $175 million. I'm going to put that away somewhere in the safe type place. I'm going to take $50 million and I'm going to reinvest that. I'm going to create this business and I'm going to invest this over here. And so, and then this is what I have to lift off of. So you set a limit for yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Only makes sense for the next moves that they got to make after that. If they can't, if they don't have financial literacy and can't balance money, it don't make sense. Now you just lost your mass, you just lost your catalog. And you, and on top of that, you blew through the money that you had that was supposed to set you up for the rest of your life. It's a double L. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely can't have champagne taste there with Kool-Aid money. No, sir. Yeah, definitely can't do that. And uh, before we go, Marquette, any shout-outs you want to give? Let the people know where they can find you, bro. Um, man, you know what, bro? Uh, shout out to to shout out to to number one, first and foremost, man. A shout out to 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 my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Got to give a shout out to to God, to the to the to the bit one. It's the main shout out. Um, outside of that, man, it's a shout out to those all of those people that you know. That want to invest and you know want to do some things to earn themselves some money. Shout out to you, you know, get it done, man. Do your thing. Life is short. Don't wait. Every day you wait, you're losing out on money. Every day that you wait, you know. Shout out to my to my my family, my parents, sister, um, my girl. Um, yeah, man. All the all the friends, man. All the peers. Yeah, man. Major shout out to you and your platform. Um. Major shout out to my business partners. Um, you can find me. Uh, best place to find me, man. You can find me on LinkedIn for sure. Um, go to my LinkedIn and you can always find me there. Um, I'm trying to get more. I'm trying to get more into social media. I think I don't know why. I don't know, man. I, uh, <laughs> growing up, you know, when social media first came, you know, it was one of those types of things like you got to be on. But then, like the older, older I've, I've been getting, it's kind of like less. My social media skills been kind of like going down some, man. <laughs> but you can definitely find me on LinkedIn, man, and on Facebook too. But okay. I'm just glad to share some share some knowledge, man, and hopefully the things that we talked about today, you know, simplified enough that people don't get discouraged to uh to invest. And I, I mainly I want people to know that you don't have to be making millions and billions of dollars to actually be an investor. You don't have to be a Harvard or Princeton grad in finance to be an investor. You don't have to have your Series 7 or Series 66 or all of these extra great certificate things to, to be an investor. You don't you don't need to do that. You can actually train. You can actually show yourself the, the knowledge. You can teach yourself. Um while I'm on it, I'll give a shout out to um give a shout out to one of my one of my um one of my close guys. Um uh, a guy's name uh Willie Brown. Um well, I'm sorry, Dr. Willie Brown. Uh, I want to give him a shout out. Um, because actually, man, he uh was one of the first people that 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 gave me information about about investing and the things that it can do for you. 
and uh, man, and and the changes that they can make in your life, man. But hopefully, hopefully somebody heard our conversation today, man, and and uh, they decide to go pick something up or hit me up or hit you up, whatever. But hopefully they decide it sparked the brain to say that I want to, I want to invest in my future. I want to put some put something in my future. So yeah. that's my hope. Yeah, all it takes is just one start. You can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts. Now on YouTube at youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. And also I want to send big ups to my good friends, our good friends, Julius Tillery, a.k.a. Mr. Black Cotton and JD. Black Cotton, they're doing their thing. They got the shirt, the deal with Vans. If you ain't got it, go to Vans, purchase the shirt. I mean, it's, it's fire and it's two five too strong and, you know, Everybody back home in the 252, Gaston, Garrisburg, Jackson, Rich Square, Scotland Neck, Hemrico, Enfield, all the little areas in between. Love y'all, and this is for y'all. This is this is why I do what I do. And Marquette, thank you once again for coming on, bro, and I appreciate you. Oh, man, of course, man. Thank you again for having me, bro. I appreciate you. I appreciate the time. Man, maybe we can, maybe we can do a deeper dive. Maybe we can have another conversation, do a deeper dive on, on on some things in the market somewhere down the line or something, man. I don't know. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. There. I always appreciate you, bro. Yes, sir.